Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. I'm Paul Graves. And this is Parkour, They Said. Paul Graves is difficult to pin down. I had trouble figuring out how to introduce him, but that's not what I mean. I mean he is literally difficult to pin down. He's frenetic and yet laser-focused. His playing of the full-body motion arcade game Speed of Light has been described as terrifying. He works for... Oh, wait. That's redacted. Okay, well, let's say he's a project manager for software development teams. He's also a tree-climbing, inline-skating, dancing, singing, capoeirista mover who also seems to enjoy cooking and writing. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. I don't think I'm that laser-focused. That's the only... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sticking with laser-focused. So in capoeira, the hoda is this circle that most people have seen where you have two people in the center. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you think they're playing or dancing. And just can you kind of unpack what's going on there a little bit? A little bit. Usually you have a circle of people singing and dancing, clapping as well, call and response singing, and two people in the middle doing all sorts of inversions and swirls and spins, and it looks very choreographed because you don't see contact, generally speaking. Um, Nahora is the place where Capoeira lives. It's the place where all of the training that we do is is brought to its actual state. Um, two people start together with the instruments, paying respect to the music, and then based on the rhythm and the words of the song and the direction they're receiving from the people running that circle, they have an, a conversation in movement, a dialogue back and forth with, with a call and response, just like what you're hearing from the song. Um, but it's all with movement, physical movement, with attacks, with escapes, and uh, we call them ataki and ishkiva and floreo, which is the flourishes, the pretty movements that are what we real, people really think of when they think of capoeira. Um, it's a dance, it's a fight, it's a game, and it's all of more than that. It's a microcosm for life and a place to escape the rest of all those things. Okay, so obviously you love capoeira, and I know you've done it for off and on in the beginning, but basically 15 years of this. So what happened to the love of your life there? As in where, where did it stop or how did it start? Yeah, how did it stop? Like what? Okay. Um, capoeira was the place where I learned... Social interaction. I was an uh, Air Force kid. I moved like 30 times now. I'm 34. Mm -hmm. um, moved all over the place. And they, there was a movie many years ago. First got me into Capoeira. Didn't get to try it till I was a senior in high school. At that point, I was a complete loner. I had no external social skills. But everything I saw in Capoeira was fascinating to me. Um, it fully engaged me. So all through college and then as I started my career in San Antonio and continued, I loved Capoeira. It was a big part of my life. Um, and that I also learned about politics and about things not working <laughs> wow. well. And right. so there's a lot of human interaction pieces to it that were very challenging for me. Um, I, I felt that the system I had been taught and the things I believed were not, did not remain consistent. The things I had been taught 10 and 12 years before were not where the art was at that point, or especially in my community. Mm -hmm. um, I had I felt like there was no chance I would ever reach a place where I could be teaching, which had been a goal at one point in my life. Uh, okay, and I kind of lost the um, the connection, the the the, the yeah the joy, incentive. The... the carrot disappeared for me. I wasn't <laughs> sure that I wanted to be that thing anymore, right. and I didn't know where I was in it. Um, there was some specific social things that happened in a relationship that ended that kind of made me have the conversation with myself of why am I doing this, and uh, the answer was that. There wasn't a good reason other than that I had always done it. And and it was had, just the thing that you had been doing for so long. Yes. Um, capoeira comes with a, a literal baptism. You get baptized into capoeira. It's called batizado. 
And that's your first big event. We have it every year, and all the guests come. It's a baptism of earth because they put you on the ground. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very much a thing. And that's also where you first receive your capoeira name, your apelido, your nickname in capoeira, your alias of capoeira. Uh, it was spaghetti. I was tall, thin, and white. <laughs> Not much has changed. And um, that name is the name I went with, I went by, and still many people call me nothing else um, from about the age of 19 or 20. Um, well, yeah, more than 10 years. So um, that identity was was who I was. And uh, leaving that was pretty traumatic for me. And at that point, I started going by my middle name. That was when I became Paul. <laughs> so it was kind of a big moment for me. Leaving that was very difficult. And I was left not knowing who I was or what I was going to do. But I ended up in parkour. So I gather that movement has always been something that you've been drawn to. You don't strike me as the kind of guy who suddenly discovered capoeira and then started moving. No, definitely not. Yeah, um, I'm the youngest of four by several years. So as a tag-along little brother, I was always moving to try to catch up to my siblings as they receded into the distance on the bikes <laughs> that they knew how to ride. Right, literally <laughs> trying to keep up. Yeah, um, we got to live in the... My, my father was Air Force, lived remote for a year when I was three. I turned four there in 1986 and seven. And uh, we lived on a, on a mountainside in the rural Aniana, Alabama, and I got to run through the woods and play at age three and four. Um, and I've never really stopped doing that. Mm. Climbing trees, running through the woods, playing in the water. Um, and by the time I was in, I mean, elementary school, I was loved running in, the, in the, everything, everything to do with recess, you know, that time. But when I was in fifth grade, a friend of mine gave me a Super Nintendo game for my birthday. But I, my mom would never have allowed us to own something like that. So we <laughs> took it to... Toys R Us and exchanged it for Jeffrey Bucks in store credit because we never received. I'm surprised they let us do it. <laughs> and I bought my first pair of inline skates. skates, roller derby inline skates, black and purple, these beautiful things and some pads. Um, and I skate, been, I've been skating ever since. And that's been like a huge, that was my emotional escape, my physical escape. Just go until you just can't stop many, many, many miles. Um, and I think that's really, you know, it's also a complete loner activity. <laughs> Always alone. I only have one or two friends who ever mm-hmm. skated with me. Um, and I think that's really what what was in line with in line. Ouch! No, that's good. With, I like uh, it. Really, I, no, I'm only I'm only upset because I didn't mean to do it. If I had meant to do it, I'd be really proud of myself oh. right now. <laughs> um, the was being able to say, okay, here is another way that I can start exploring other things like music and and dance and things like that. Right, Capoeira. You mean when you discovered that? Yes. And then, so then you you let's say you divorced yourself from Capoeira, however you want to put that, and you moved on and discovered parkour. And how did what was so it about I, parkour that drew you in? So in 2000, I don't know, one or two, I just got into college. And um, I had a friend, we were outside playing around. We climbed on the buildings of college and all sorts of stuff. But if you'll notice that date, it was several years pre-YouTube. So um, one day we were out running around and he ran and did like a stall on his hand on a wall. And he was like, freestyle walking. It's like skateboarding without a skateboard. And that was the first <laughs> time I ever heard of parkour. Like that right there, that moment. I mean, I think know. there really is a thing called no boarding. I think Julie Angel has a video of no boarding and I think it's people <laughs> skateboarding with no skateboards. But it was, it was like, it was also like, um, and, and I'm sure that was kind of a niche splinter thing because people were already doing movement outside. Like, we were climbing buildings, we were playing, you know, Ninja Turtle, Jackie Chan, and you know, these things were, we already had examples of these things for ourselves. Um, but I had not seen, like, I actually, even, it was probably that long ago that we started seeing um, Joe Igo, I believe it was, and there were come up a couple of videos I remember seeing on the internet those days, again, pre-YouTube, that were passed around of people doing really cool things. And um, Capoeira became my life, and so I thought it was really awesome. Once I started seeing videos like 06, 07, like the Davins clan, like the free running, some of these other things, 
these videos were like super cool, but I didn't, I was, I would try a few things like, yeah, this is like those things I do only way more so, but I couldn't divorce it. I, I was so into capoeira that I wasn't going to take on another passion. Right. It was like seven days a week, several hours a day. Like I couldn't, I didn't, where was I going to fit it? You know? Um, and eventually when I left capoeira, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to try this. And it turned out a friend's sister was dating a guy that no one had ever heard of named Jeremy Sanders. <laughs> I had never heard of. Um, started going out to classes. That's, you know, a year or two later, I'm teaching the classes with him. And a year or two later, I'm director of member services of Parkour Visions. And a year later, I'm teaching Capoeira for Movement at the Art of Retreat in New York City. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I kind of snowballed from there. It escalated quickly, you might say. One of the things that I see when I've seen Capoeira is it's clearly a conversation. You can see that, that it could be uh, combative and antagonistic, but that, that there's a conversation happening there. And a lot of times in parkour, there are certain people I have in mind, that conversation is happening when you train with them. And in other situations, that's missing. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are from a original Capoeira point of view coming into parkour. Sure. Capoeira is I, you know the one of the most common books on it is called the dance origins of the dance fight game like we can't even manage to get a name right on it or because it's more than each of those things what? which has some that doesn't strong, know what to call itself strong I mean. parallels right um and the there's a big part of that is is how you respond to external things beyond your control and then how you master that and that's the part that makes it completely organic why do why do they never hit each other okay. well they are trying to they are trying but to. you see it you see it coming you get out of the way now in the same way, and this is actually, I'm a, I'm a wordsmith, I'm a poet, I love words, and that's the analogy I've always preferred for capoeira. You learn a vocabulary of movements, and you can think of those as, as a language. And then the grammar and the structure, if I were to say to you, hey, how's it going? That might maybe be doing a gentle movement near you and occupying your space, interacting with your environment, mm-hmm. making you respond physically. And you can choose a response like, Oh, okay. interesting. How are you? Or you can say, "Get away from me!" And right. you know, um, <laughs> I'm feeling injured and vulnerable. Wow. Yes, <laughs> right. And so I would that that is exactly the same way. With informed a little bit by music, but also um, you choose. If someone's like it comes in really hot and heavy from the beginning, you're like quit yelling at me. It's almost the same level of of interaction. But also from the very beginning in Capoeira, um, no matter what level you are, you can play the game with anyone. Uh, my first summer in capoeira with no experience feeling like a gawky barely out of his teens you know kid who knew nothing about what he's doing around surrounded by these adonis examples of human beings <laughs> um was that everyone was in every show and we did shows at every public library in san antonio which is like 20 plus separate <laughs> performances in public <laughs> without a shirt with just white skinny pants on it was very difficult for me at that point in my life um but i learned that that was part of it is that you can you can play with anyone they're not playing down to you um, it's like having a conversation with someone where the, your language is their second language. Right. You don't think they're any less intelligent or any less capable of carrying on the conversation. In fact, you try harder. If I know that it's not your first language, then I'm trying to be more particular about the things that I ask of you. Exactly. You're controlling your your word choice. Must be more careful so that you don't send the wrong message and your awareness for their spaces. And that is how it is to play capoeira with someone. And we do call it playing capoeira. That is all it's ever called, um, with someone who is not yet as versed as you are, maybe. Um, and that, that is the, that mindset around coaching, um, Capoeira, you learn from beginners as well. That's a no, like you start teaching very early on. Um, yeah. What was the phrase? Um, 
I am a master who learns. I am a student who teaches. It was the first quote I read when I opened Nestor Capoeira's Little Capoeira book, which was my first Capoeira teacher. Um, later on, I learned a lot of the things I taught myself wrong. But in that, um, the communication... Oh, the human existence, right? <laughs> yes. Well, until I had other people, the social aspect is how we learn. Oh, that's and that point. ties in directly to how does this now all apply to, to parkour? Well, in parkour, we are moving and we're still having that conversation, but rather having it in this like pure philosophical realm where it's just two people talking across the table. Uh, and I say that to say that the hora is just a circle on the ground. Right, two people talking across the proverbial the, table yes, in a circle. There's nothing else in that space. Now you start adding obstacles. Obstacles to understanding, obstacles to, to um, reaching what might or might not be your goal. Um, or, and when you talk about people who, who do this, you know, contact improvisation comes to mind and there's specific movers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you play with your environment, and I use the term play from an educational sense, not a trivial sense, that's, that's always a, a conversation. Right. From a Capoeira sense, playing with your environment is engaging with your environment, responding to your environment. Um, when you do a thing, find out what the environment's doing, come back. It's almost like stationary Capoeira. It's like imagine this wall is just a person in a, in a set, excuse in a set, set like position. block. Now what can I do around that? Um, that gets a little bit further into what I what I did once I got with the two together, but I think that conversation piece comes from um, taking the landscape of the conversation that you're having with someone or with movement, and then how do these things fit into this conversation of movement? And so it's not always imposing my will. I want to do this line this way. That's a that can be one mindset you see people have mm-hmm. versus this place. Has I want to play with the idea of how I would vault over this to that. Right, what opportunities are here? Right, and those are very different mindsets that both exist. I, I know people who, or a lot of people might approach their training both ways, different days, you know. Um, for me, I, I usually need some sort of that engagement piece mm-hmm. um, or, or it doesn't. It doesn't seem as fun to me. Um, just doing the same line over and over. It can, it can be. I like optimizing. There's different things there, but like that is what really came to me. Everybody's been to those situations where someone or a small group of people are working on a particular challenge in a line, and then you develop the bystander group, and suddenly it's like a group of people watching other people do parkour. And the question I always have is, where does that where does that actually come from? Does that stem from the people who are doing, let's call it a line, the people who are doing that line, that challenge, or is it somehow coming from the people who are watching what's going on? Like, is there an ego at play there somewhere? Or? Sure, I think that... Um it can really depend on the type of challenge. So there's something to be said for fun. You're with people who are pushed to do the same type of challenge you're doing. And that's one thing that we want to foment at jams, right? That you get those people together to get to challenge each other and do something really hard. And there might be a question of accessibility. Other people will start watching that, and that can be super discouraging. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done at all. And on the contrary, it's a really important part of it. But I feel like there is a very often a I could never do that syndrome, which sure. is which we hear which constantly totally from bystanders. Right? And I feel like that it's it's. I mean, I don't want to call it ego because that makes people think of the of the um, of yeah, being too might, proud. It might be a better word. It might be, yeah. So that the internal feeling, the sense of shame that you're not good enough to do that challenge, or that you might never be able to, or that you thought you were doing pretty good, but look at these guys. <laughs> these are all things that make people unwilling to to continue moving in yeah, that they, moment. They disengage from that conversation that and they're they describing. Just watch because there's safety in spectating. Um, and when I think about communication, let's tie this back. It's about a place where you can have people, you can choose what communicating you're doing as a group 
And if it becomes clear that two or three people's work, um, challenge is disengaging a huge number of people at that jam, being able to create um, a group of challenges or similar challenges or whatever it is to give other people something that they can find manageable, engaging, and know that's okay. And that's kind of about you know creating safe spaces. But I think it's very much about being aware of the of the what's being communicated whom and who or what they're communicating back through their movement or lack of movement. Um, if you see, if, if in Capoeira, if the person doesn't play with you, they don't say anything to you, they don't do anything, you wouldn't just kick them. <laughs> you know, there's clearly... Or you might, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you didn't have a reason, no. If they're in the hora, they showed up to the place where the conversation happens and they don't say anything, that, ra- that instantly is a concern. You can't, you can't have a conversation with only one side. Um, that would require kind of a stop right there. That game is over. Someone else would call the game and have the two people step out or one person else step in. And so in my mind, if you're at the place where everyone's come to play, to move, to train hard, to, you know, if, if game isn't what works for your mind for that, to get that training in with other people and to share that experience, people who, com- who feel disengaged from that, they're, um, they're communicating something too. Um, but it really, I think it, it's super dependent on who's there, the situation, and being able to play with those energies, which is something I also picked up in Capoeira, understanding what, why, what, why might this motivation be happening? What's, what is someone feeling or not feeling in this moment? Um, and I think my happiest times are engagement with others, and that that isn't necessarily the truth for everyone. But you know, the if you if you if you're never engaged by training with other people, then jams aren't probably something you're attending anyway. Yeah. I want to talk about the return to roots. Get into sure. the whole return to the source. Return to the source. Um, very briefly, I had been I kind of took a hiatus from my career in San Antonio. Was invited by Tyson to come out to Parkour Visions and see how they run things. Maybe open a gym at some point in the future in Texas, whatever that was going to look like. Um, was director of member services for about a year and a half. And then spent some more time there getting to do, um, explore it because I've been working a lot in the gym and hadn't gotten to explore the Northwest. And I got to spend a lot of time, especially near the end of that, with Rafe Kelly. Um, he was former head coach and one of the founding type guys from um, Parkour Visions. And he now does Evolve Move Play is what he calls his organization. Um, and he was inviting me out to do more movement in nature. Um, if you've never been in the Pacific Northwest, visit all the nature there. It's incredible. It's the most benign wilderness I've ever heard of. Hmm. Uh, just gorgeous. You can be in snow in the morning and then skinny dipping in the Puget Sound in the afternoon. And it's just pretty amazing. And he's from um, north of Seattle. Um, and Return to the Source is going to his father's land and camping. And it's like a week of going to different national parks up there, going to the water, to rocks, mm-hmm. to trees, to cold water immersion, combative and, and uh, rough housing, climbing together, moving together, but really tribe, creating a tribe of about 20 people. Right. The, a literal retreat where people are cooking together and you know spending time together and setting up camps together. and Absolutely. And uh, with a goal of exploring what humans evolved to be, or as to say, what our ancestors experienced by being in nature, by being in the wild, by having this interaction with nature. And I always say rediscovering your birthright. Like, sure, yeah. And, 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 and experiencing what that does to you mentally, physiologically, physically, how you feel differently just by having been in nature. Um, and then challenging yourself in a lot of fun ways as well. You know, this includes uh, kind of culminating and climbing up through a waterfall cave. You know, on, the, on one of the last days, it's just a glorious, like, 
you overcoming challenges together and ex- exploring nature. And yeah, that was, that was this past summer, by 2016 I went and it was uh, really incredible for me. Um, changed my relationship with nature, which is a big, that big says one. a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mentioned like as a kid, I'd been running around in the woods, but somewhere along the way, you know, I, I did software development. Now I manage software development. I sit at a computer so much of my life. I had gotten, um, I nearly drowned in a river in Texas when I was three. So I had a point where I really kind of was, was, uh, very averse to natural water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so got to a place where we were doing, you know, swimming in lakes and being in rivers and running down the river and things. And it was just a fantastic application of movement that I did, uh, of that I enjoy, but also really covered every, everything I'd learned in all my motion and parkour and capoeira, the social element as well. Coaching even mm-hmm. is really cool. Most people's perception of parkour is that it's an urban activity. And people who have taken the time to train and to study and to read will have discovered that it actually has roots that go literally into the woods. And what you were just talking about with the return to the source seems to be something that I think people miss in their parkour training. And there's something, seems to be something missing there. If you're only practicing in an urban environment, there's a piece. Yeah, and R- Rafe would say that you're missing the critical piece. <laughs> that's a that's a big part of that. Um, that is actually part of his mission is to to be teaching people how to rediscover the rest of the world, right? So, like the rest of the world is in outside of our cities, and I think that there it's totally understandable if you were in an area that was full of abandoned buildings that and that was the city you were in. That and is the your natural environment. That's in the your beginning, natural right? environment. Um, but movement isn't restricted to the context of the place you came from. Um, for me, especially yeah, like in the same way that part, one of the things I enjoy now in parkour that I could not have in capoeira is that I do capoeira now in any play through, through, between trees or while balancing on rails or somewhere that has environments because it's more interesting to me. That's not where I, where it came from originally. I don't pretend it was, but I'm applying those skills in a broader place. And I feel that once you step out into other environments in the world, you know, try rock climbing, try, try, uh, trees. Uh, Rafe likes to say, you know, when you grab trees, your hands get uniformly, you know, unlike a bar where you have calluses in one spot, if you're grabbing tree branches of different varieties and different thicknesses mm-hmm. and all the time, this whole hand is a callus. It's a completely different kind of thing that happens. And that's why I'm not trying to say that it's a better or worse, just that there are other obstacles in the world. And when you interact with them, you have a chance to have new relationships, new conversations with your movement and with nature, your environment and the obstacles, which I personally find terrifying because everything's not square edges. Right. But also... Um, Man, it's 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 like um, it really wakes you up yes. to the proprioception, to the spatial awareness. Very much. The majority of parkour that I've seen, I think people would agree when I say this. The majority of parkour is human beings running, using their hands, but vaulting type of movements, flips and spins, but they're moving over the built spaces, or they're moving over rocks, and there's a whole aspect of arboreal existence that goes back millions of years and getting out into that natural environment. First time you step under a tree branch and grab it with your hand, your brain just goes, Oh, I know what that is. Yeah. And and you see, you know, liches are a huge thing. Um, brachiation you'll see on bar sets and things. Um, that that's cool to train. And there's some really neat things that have come out of it. Definitely. Um, but when you get into like a huge patch of a, of a tree that just sprawls over several square yards or acres, right. 
and you're able to, everywhere around you is a thing you can grab that could take you different area if you're pulling or pushing. Um, it's, it's an experience that like as someone who, who's enjoying and appreciating this movement art of exploration, which you can park or whatever you want to call this thing that we do, this movement stuff. Um, it's, it's a nourishing is another word you might use for it because it's like, Oh yeah, I love trying new obstacle movement because this is where I, I get to explore what the things I've trained, in the urban environment, how do they apply here and vice versa? It's just kind of like, how do we like, and again, I come from a very play centric background in Capoeira. We play, play, no matter how hard we're working, we call it playing. So for me, engaging work is play. Um, how do I play with this to become better at all the things if we, or whatever else my stated goal might be? And of course, the final question, three words to describe your movement. Difficult, heavy, pungent. No. <laughs> did not just go there. No, for real. Three words to describe your movement. Um, difficult. Oh, no. So, uh, constant, playful engagement. Okay. So, by that, I guess I mean, I like to be engaging not only with people, but with spaces and ideas and movement from a variety of sources, different disciplines, um, Playful for me from as a capoeirista is how you attack things from different angles, how you come from above, below, from the side, and you find the pieces that are hidden in it. You find the enigmas in it. You find the, mm -hmm. the places that go together. And by constant, I don't mean every waking moment so much as not becoming stagnant. Complacent, right. Or complacent. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. And of course, there's a website. Visit parkour.theysaid.world for this episode's notes and transcript. The site also has writing from people around the world, and everything is available in a dozen languages. Mm -hmm.